welcome to FiverCast, the official Fiverr podcast for sellers by sellers. My name is Red, aka Red Horrox. And I'm Adam, also known as Twisted Web 123. So Adam, we're just hanging out today and talking about things like uh, how to stay safe on Fiverr and how you handle suspicious buyers and all that kind of stuff. I think it's a case of uh, it always kind of happens, not so much really frequently, but you should expect it to happen. So I think it's really good to kind of kind of go through these tips and keep up to date with what we can currently do at this point in time. Because some people may think, you know, oh, are you having problems with the buyers? Is there an issue? What's going on? But we should we should kind of just start by saying, calm down. It happens. What are the best kind of practices to deal with that? Exactly. So one of the things that um, that I see sometimes that I'll get contacted by is uh, buyers that will come to me and they'll they'll want to order from multiple accounts. They'll say, "Hey, I'm uh, I want to order from you, but you're going to see an order from this person." And it's really weird because sometimes it comes in and the usernames are super similar. And there is actually a Fiverr TOS rule that that buyers cannot have. Well, anyone cannot have multiple accounts. And what's happening in this case sometimes is they're using the Fiverr referral system in order to gain free credits on Fiverr to order from you. So, Adam, what's the best way to handle that? For me, what I will always try and do now, I have actually experienced something similar to this before, but in in my case, it was a legitimate reason. So I was very quick to not jump the gun. I didn't I didn't jump straight away to thinking something fishy is going on here. Because to basically explain what happened to me, I had a buyer who originally checked out Fiverr on her husband's account and ordered from me originally from her husband's account and then loved Fiverr so much, she created her own account. But then we started dealing with, uh, with each other on her, her own account. But there was a time when she wanted to buy from me again and she realized that she already had pre-saved credit in her previous account from um, canceling an order from there. So we swapped back. Now, the reason I kind of highlight that is because I would say, first of all, if someone comes to you and they say, hey, I'm going to order off a different account, I wouldn't instantly think something is wrong here. We need to report this. I would query as to kind of why it's coming from that different account, because sometimes there are legitimate reasons. Right, definitely, for sure. And I mean, sometimes it is like I have a couple of clients who uh, they're co-workers and they basically kind of bounce back and forth with who's placing the order. So I know that it's the same company, but it's not necessarily like the same person for nefarious purposes having two accounts. Yeah, that's that's definitely the case because you'll often, the, the referral um, kind of scam, if you like, is just the ability of trying to keep signing up for free, as you say, free referral credits. And then because you maybe only get, say, $5, they say, hey, I want to place a $100 order. Can I split it? across these accounts now that's where i would be wary not if someone is ordering from a different account but if someone is trying to split an order across different accounts that's where i would instantly have a red flag so in that case you would probably maybe send something to customer support and say hey perhaps trust and safety should take a take a quick peek at this person just to make sure that everything's above board which it might be but the last thing that you want is to have orders cancelled after you've done work on them because someone has violated terms of service and it's not even vaguely your fault. Yeah, what I'll, what I'll actually normally try and do in that case is I would actually, and this is just my personal preference, I actually try to kind of take on that order 
if I think it's illicit in that way, contact customer support and then have them check it out. And I personally like to take on the order first to do that because if there is nothing wrong, then you haven't missed out on your order. But if there is something wrong, because you're aware of it, you have stopped that dead in the water and they've not gone to someone else to try and do the same thing and try and pull the same sort of scam in that situation. So you're basically just taking one for the team. Kind of, yeah, because I mean, it, it works out either way, because like I say, if everything's fine with the order, trust and safety are happy, everything's good, then great, you've secured yourself an order. If there is something wrong, then you've gone into it knowing there could be something wrong. You're not completing the order. You're not doing the work yet. You're messaging customer support the second, you know, you kind of get that communication or that order. And then if they come back in a day or two and say, good to go, you'd hopefully have a sort of lead time there where you can react on that. So one of the, as we've just talked about, one of the er kind of the things we come across is people splitting high amounts across different accounts. But one of the things I've also seen kind of people being a bit wary about is when they receive an individual high amount order with maybe not a lot of previous conversation beforehand or even no conversation at all. How do you kind of handle that situation if you wake up in the morning, you go ahead and click, see what orders are available. And as an example, you see a $300 order from someone who hasn't purchased from you before? What's what's the first kind of thing you think and do? Well, generally for me, just because of my particular category, that's not an entirely uncommon situation. And I've never actually had a time when that's been a fraudulent thing. Um, I actually, uh, the way that I work, I actually prefer it when clients don't message me first because it means I can get to their work more quickly. Um, but I think in some cases, uh, especially for other categories, maybe for things like the logo design category or for especially for design categories, I, th I think um, it's worth checking out to make sure that you want to go through and look and make sure that all the details on the order are correct. Like if someone's just randomly put in, you know, they've put in a, a, a $500 order for one logo that would normally cost them $50, you're probably going to be like, that's a little funny. So I think it's a case of making sure that the work that's being requested matches the amount. And if they're drastically off, don't necessarily think of it as a windfall. Think of it as, is this legitimate, just in case, because the last thing you want, again, is to do the work and then find that there's going to be a chargeback later down the road or, or that they're going to go ahead and cancel the order, which would put the money back into their, into their account balance and not necessarily back to their credit card, which would be a really um, sneaky way of getting massive funds into someone's account with stolen financials. One thing I will say that I love about Fiverr when it comes to slightly um, higher orders, and I've, I've received this sporadically because my, my highest order ever as an individual order on Fiverr was $3,000. But what I loved when I received that amount was the buyer said to me, hey, I've submitted the order. And originally I panicked because I couldn't see an order. And I thought, why is there no order in my queue? Why is it not come through? You know, this is a, this is a large order. I really, is something wrong? And I actually reached out to customer support and they explained to me, that with certain larger value orders, they'll actually preemptively do a trust and safety check and make sure that everything is okay so you can confidently proceed. So if you aren't, for example, used to receiving, say, a three or $400 order, when that comes in, sometimes they would have already actually gone through trust and safety just to make sure that everything is above board and you can kind of be relaxed in knowing that, hey, you've just secured yourself a nice high order enjoy it, don't necessarily think anything bad of it. Right. In the cases that this does happen, I'm sure that you can always go to customer service and say, hey, can you guys just double check this kind of like how you would with the multiple account thing? Yeah, I think the key is, as you say, 
not so much focusing on the order amount because it really could be anything, but focusing on how the amount relates to what they've ordered and also what the like order descriptions entail. So if you received, like you say, a $500 order for what's usually $50 and the description or the instructions they provided are bare minimum, like, you know, if they said, oh, just do anything, that's the kind of thing where you want to kind of double check that because it doesn't make sense. But at the same time, if you receive something that looks a lot more legitimate, while you can have it queried and just double make sure, you should also be quite confident knowing that that one's probably okay as well. Exactly. So what about when you get that occasional inbox message that you're not expecting that has someone who wants you to check out a website in, in, in air quotes relation to an order or they've sent you like a strange attachment that isn't the normal kind of thing you would be receiving. Do you ever get those? Because I do web programming and I also evaluate websites, I literally get these on a daily basis. And it is usually from different users. And the first thing I will normally do is if it's not a standard file format. So when I say standard file format, I mean like um, an image, like a JPG, a PNG, anything along those lines, or a source file like PSD, or a Word document, a text document, or even a zip file. If it's in a strange format, like an EXE, which is software, or a RAR file, I will instantly not open that file. That's the first thing I will do. First thing that will raise the flag is, if any file attachment sent isn't what I'm used to seeing and isn't a standard file format, then I won't open that at all. And I will usually ask them if they can send a different format. So if they send me a RAR file and they can't send me a zip file, then something is wrong there. The other thing I'll do is as well, I'll always look at the file name because as odd as it sounds, people often give away a lot inside the file name. So for example, I've had people try and send me um, inappropriate contact details before via the file name and they've called the file name like contactme.txt. And obviously that's a big red flag there as well, because if I open that up and I do that, I risk my whole account. And there's been stories of people trying to you know, law sellers off the platform to then try and like hack or do whatever they want to do with it. So always keep an eye on the file name and the file type. When it comes to websites, that's a little bit more of a gray area because especially with what I do, I, I receive website domain names all day, every day. So what I'll often do there is if it ever asks me to log in or I'm ever required to log in for whatever reason, whether that's Fiverr, whether that's a Gmail account, a Hotmail account or anything, I will not trust that link. Because you may think to yourself, well, if it's not asking me to log back into Fiverr, it's safe. But if it's a fake logging page for like Hotmail, well, if your Hotmail account created your Fiverr account, they could be trying to steal your Hotmail, de uh, Hotmail details to then do a, you know, like forgotten password on Fiverr, etc. So my, my general rule of thumb is if you have to log in to view a website, ask for an alternative or query that. There's a occasionally, though, the one the one thing I will say about when that is OK for someone in, in my position is a lot of the time I get sent um, links to password protected videos where they'll also provide me like their password so that I can take a look at them. And those ones are, are OK. Oh, yeah, that, that's probably good to clarify. If you if you need to log in with your own details that haven't been provided to you, that's that's where the issue comes in. And if you if you ever come across a page that, you know, maybe looks like the Fiverr login screen, you can also always double check by just having a look inside the browser and see if it actually says Fiverr.com and see if there's an actual padlock in the corner. 
if there's no padlock in the corner or it's not fiverr.com then although it may look like the login page it isn't fiverr exit it and leave it there'll be no harm from viewing the page as it is there just close it down and move on so this is um this is similar to or or it is phishing right that happens all across the internet yeah it pretty much happens wherever you need to log in somewhere someone will try and fake a page or fake some information or just fake anything in general to try and grab your details so it's probably also worth noting that if you ever get like a suspicious email that you think is that comes in that looks like it's from Fiverr, but it seems a, a bit off. Maybe it's ref- it's addressing you in a way that you're norm- not normally addressed, or maybe it's sending you to a different version of the site. It's a good idea to keep an eye on those to make sure that you're not being fished in that manner, and those should probably be sent over to customer support also. Yeah, whether it's in your email inbox or inside your Fiverr inbox. If it's inside your Fiverr inbox, I would instantly report it because the great thing about the Fiverr inbox system is that it's kind of interlinked as a community. So when you report that, that's sent to the content or the trust and safety team who will then, if they realize, yeah, this is an error, they'll remove that user and you'll help everyone else out. Even though you may think to yourself, oh, this is obvious phishing, it's good to report it because not everyone may actually realize that. And with your email, it's I think it's always important to do that because, I mean, the biggest ones I receive are probably from um, things like PayPal. Like uh, I get so many, over time, I get so many fake emails from PayPal that say your account has been limited. And originally they were just like random, you know, standard blank emails. And now they've gotten better. So today they've got the PayPal logo on. It actually looks like a legitimate PayPal email. But the one thing that gives it away is that the email address it comes from isn't something at paypal.com. It's like random characters at dot e a f at dot blah 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 and you you can't fake the domain name when you're sending that email exactly i think also like paypal has a really good internal system for how to handle phishing and i'm pretty sure that the fiverr system is pretty good too for that yeah i'm pretty sure anything that you you go ahead and report it can be it can be dealt with swiftly uh i, I imagine the absolute worst case scenario is alerting people that you know be careful at this point in time there's a lot going on a lot of people are trying it but really, as long as you're aware and you just keep a double lookout if you're ever being asked to log in, you can pretty much stay safe the whole time. Exactly. So talking about phishing in regards to grabbing information, I also think there's actually kind of a method that people try and use on Fiverr as a buyer, which I like to call buyer phishing, where they try to actually order from you to gain information, to gain the work, but then cancel that order. Yeah. Is that something that you've experienced? Oh, yeah. This one happens to me. actually. Um, a fair bit frequently, it's sad to say. Um, one of the Fiverr is 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 a fantastic site, and there are so many great things. But unfortunately, occasionally, because we start our services at such a low rate, we can attract people who want everything for nothing, basically. Um, and I've had a couple of instances where I've had I've had buyers that have made a purchase from me, and they have. Uh, received the work to to their specifications, and then they've said, it's not what I had in mind, or I don't like your voice, or uh, that's not what I want, and click cancel, rather than giving me an opportunity to make a revision or to come back to them and say, okay, well, how can we fix that? Like they've gone straight for the cancellation. And that always makes me instantly alert, because generally 99.9% of your buyers 
if they if they if there's an error with their work or if there's something that they're not they don't like they're going to contact you first but when people jump straight to the cancellation that makes me feel like what they're doing is they're basically trying for a refund right away and they will probably end up using your work um the worst case that I ever had was I did have that happen on like a $235 order once, which was a very, very rough day. Um, and I think when that happens, the, the best thing to do is go ahead and, and, and try and start a dialogue with the, with the buyer to find out what's going on. Um, you're well within your rights to decline a cancellation, especially in the event that you have delivered the work. Um, there is a rule in, it's within the terms of service that a cancellation cannot be provided after delivery based on personal taste. So it's very important to stand behind your work and discuss with the buyer and find out what's going on. And sometimes it's a really simple situation where you can actually fix something right away. They're happy, you're happy, everyone's good. But if they keep insisting on that cancellation, that they want a refund, they don't even want you to try, then I would definitely got, contact customer support to review it. So to try and like uh, understand the personal taste element, then let's let's go with voiceovers and say I hired a voiceover from you, mm -hmm. and I said, "Can you record a voiceover that says I like oranges?" And you came back and said, "I like apples." Mm -hmm. Now under that, that's a mistake. Yes. If I pitched for a cancellation, technically, you know, if they really drove it home, they would be able to have one. However, as you say, if you're saying, I'm so sorry, let me re-record that, let me correct it, and they keep refusing, maybe look into that further. Yep. But if you if you recorded I like oranges and I said, Do you know what? I don't like it. I don't like the quality. I don't I don't like your voice. I'm not I'm not overly keen on that. That kind of falls under personal taste. Yes. So whilst you may kind of say, Well, I'm happy to re-record for you, if they demand a refund under the official terms of Fiverr, you are entitled to stand behind your work because you delivered as specified. And if the buyer doesn't like it, that's what the rating system is there for. Exactly. So if you don't like it, you can you know, leave a low rating. Mm -hmm. Now, some sellers may think, well, customer service and high ratings are more important than the individual order. So I'll let this slide. I'll give them a refund. But if it's a larger order and you kind of think, well, you know, this is a $250 order, you might say, and I stand by what I do, some others may kind of take that low rating and even maybe contact support afterwards and explain, I delivered as specified, the buyer maybe refused any amendments or revisions I offered to him. Can you help me out here? Yeah, I think that's the perfect way to handle it. And, and that does happen. And it happens exactly like you just described often. Um, and it's, it's one of those things. One of the most important things that I always say is like having a good communication with your buyers and having good customer service is really, really important. You're not going to get a low rating if you're providing quality work. Um, but there are going to be some people that you just can't make happy. Um, and you have to weigh it. Like I've given the occasional I, I've given the occasional refund to a buyer who has been, you know how you can just tell sometimes, I call it my spidey sense. My spidey sense will sometimes tingle about a buyer that it might be a case of they've ordered from me, but at the end of the day, there's not really... I'm not really what they're looking for, even though they picked me. And there are some times when I do wait and say, okay, this person's not gonna, this person's not gonna be happy. I, I could go seven more revisions with them and they wouldn't be happy. Maybe it's better if they just find another provider and I just walk away. Like that happens once in a while. But I think it's important to recognize 
when it's a legitimate thing where a buyer is trying to communicate with you and get what they're looking for out of you and when they're just flat out canceling because they just want to take your work and run with it. Yeah, I, I literally, I get that quite a lot with my logo design service simply because the deliverable isn't like a set, here you go. It's a completely subjective deliverable. So they may say to me, um, I want a man weightlifting or they may even say, I am a gym and I want a gym-based type logo that looks masculine. You know, that may be the only info they give me. So when I come back and I create a logo to those specifications, they may love it, absolutely great. They may not like it, but that's why I obviously I have the revisions there. Mm -hmm. But if they came to me and said, I don't like it, and I say, well, what would you like change? And they said, just give me a refund. That's where I kind of politely explain that the work has been performed. I don't personally provide refunds after delivery and they're very much happy or entitled to ask me to make any changes, but refusing any changes is their decision, not something I'm kind of restricting or limiting from them. Right. And again, it's all about the, the communication and making sure that buyers understand your policies and understand like what is within their what is within the scope of what should be a revision and what should be a new order. That's the other thing. And that's where one of the things that is really important when you're when you're building your gig description and you're building your info to seller, it's really important to try it if you can to outline that kind of thing. Like for me, a new script, if someone has a script has a script change, I have to record the whole thing all over again so it's a new order. So I have that outlined in my info to seller, and that's an important thing because then there's no misunderstanding and you're setting the right level of expectation. The same with you is you're very clear about the fact that a new concept is a new order. So it's at the same time, make sure that you are articulating your policies clearly to your buyers to avoid anything going awry or any misunderstandings. Yeah, that, that makes complete sense because the degree of revision all comes down to the type of service. So like with my logo design gig, say I ask someone, what colors would you like used? And they say blue and orange, I deliver. And they say, actually, now I've seen it. Can I have it in green? Me changing one of those colors to green isn't that big of a deal. You know, I don't have to recreate the whole logo to do it. All I need to simply do is change that one little color and then resend the files. However, if someone asks you to record a script that says, I really like oranges, I buy them from the shop, they hear it back and say, actually, I don't like the word shop. Can we say store? So it's, I really like oranges, I buy them from the store. It's not just a case of you going in and editing that one word. You have to literally re-record the whole file. Mm-hmm. So that's where someone may think, well, it's just one small change. In, on my gig, that makes sense. Whereas on your gig, it isn't just one small change. It's kind of redoing the whole thing. So when you say, you know, clarify what counts, mm -hmm. I think that's extremely important because if you're not clear, technically you're not defining your terms. So you could be stung because someone may say, well, you didn't say I couldn't ask for script changes. Yeah. Like that, you, that wasn't mentioned. So can you do it this time? And whilst you may do it and then mention you don't do script changes or you charge extra for script changes, you've still had to kind of be stung that one time to do it. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is making sure that when you're putting that together, that you are being reasonable. For example, like for me, if, if someone says that they want a file to be slower, I can do that in post-processing and I do not charge for that because it's extremely easy. I don't have to go into the studio, warm everything up, set up my recording equipment. I can just do that pretty easily from, you know, if I'm sitting on the couch. But if I actually have to go ahead and do the whole big shebang, it's different. So also take the time to say, okay, what is a reasonable revision request that takes me no time and provides excellent customer service? 
and what is an unreasonable request that really will take a significant portion of my time to do. And that's a good way to gauge what you should and shouldn't be charging for. What I actually recommend doing for that as well is because you don't want to use your whole gig description filling it with all these terms of service, you know, because you want to you want to use a gig description to sell, invite the buyer in and then maybe refer to your terms. So what I actually like to do is I like to create a PDF document, uh, which, you know, you can just do like a Word document and save it as a PDF and maybe have it as an FAQ, frequently asked questions, or maybe just outline your revision policy. And now Fiverr allows you to upload these PDF documents to your gig. So what you can do is at the end of your description, rather than, you know, kind of write all these terms and points about what is and what is not included, you can just say for, you know, gig terms, see the PDF document attached or something along those lines. So you're not impeding your sales message because there's nothing worse than kind of saying, hey, here's my service, but I don't do this, 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 I don't do this. Yeah, it sets the it's, wrong It instantly looks negative. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, you want a positive buying experience. So by uploading it as a separate PDF and referring to it, you give the whole information, but you aren't kind of like working against yourself. And then also you've got something that you can point people to. And you can even, if someone comes back and says to you, well, you know, I didn't know that, then you can always just say, you know, I do have this PDF file that you can access. By the way, here's a quick copy of it that I'm uploading to you just so you can take a take a peek easily. And you can even attach it and send it along with the message. Yeah, because I mean, I have actually seen gigs before where when I've seen people kind of say, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this. The first thing I kind of think is, you know, there's that saying of there's always a story behind a sign. Mm-hmm. The first thing I think when I see it is there's there's a jaded story here. Something has happened. And it, it, as a buyer, it does put me off. Whereas having it to the side as like an official kind of like document or terms that the person's written, it has a lot different kind of, it has a big difference in the way it's perceived or comes across. Right. So let's move on and talk about everyone's favorite topic, PayPal chargebacks. Yeah, PayPal chargebacks are, I've, I've experienced them sometimes. They they happen frequently, which for me may be twice a month, or sometimes they can be quite infrequent where we're talking maybe once every four to five months. I can't, I can't really put a set amount on that. Do you, do you experience the, the chargeback quite frequently or is it a bit intermittent? I honestly don't. I get very, very few PayPal chargebacks. And I think a lot of the reason why I get so few is because, um, because generally the, like, I'm not the right target because I don't offer, I mean, I do obviously offer high priced things, but I'm not like with you where you have packages where that's, that, that are over $50. So I'm not really, I don't feel like I'm necessarily a strong candidate for fraud situations, but when we're talking about PayPal chargebacks, what we're talking about is if you've completed an order, you've sent it, the, the, um, the buyer has paid your fee and all that kind of stuff. Later on, and it can be anywhere from a day to months later, you may sometimes get a notification from customer support saying that um, the order was canceled and the funds were returned to the buyer. And generally what happens here is is if someone is using stolen details to purchase your 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 things or to purchase other things, um, the person who owns the account can then go in and say, okay, I didn't do that, I didn't do that, I didn't do that. And they'll initiate a chargeback, which Fiverr, will, Fiverr does have to grant those to the person. Um, they happen, they happen. It happens with any business. Um, and you have a couple of ways you can handle them, but 
um, honestly, in a lot of cases, it's one of those things where you kind of just have to let it go. Um, I believe personally that every business has a cost of doing business. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. At some point, you're going to have to send a refund to a buyer. Someone will, some, if you are shipping things, items come in damaged. You know, it's not necessarily your fault or anyone's fault. It's just a circumstance. So for me, if I get the occasional one, I feel like, oh man, that really sucks. This is the cost of doing business. I lost that $5. Okay. Now, if it was a $200 or a $300 order, obviously it would be, it would be something I might challenge. But every so often, if it doesn't happen frequently and you get a $5 one, you kind of got to say, okay, that sucks. Moving on. To be honest with you, I'm going to jinx myself now. But when you, when you touched upon uh, the chargebacks, you know, packages over $50, the highest ever chargeback I actually had was $25. And normally if I do receive them, they're normally $5 or 10. Uh, I actually find that the higher orders I receive on Fiverr because of the kind of the trust and safety that goes on behind the scenes, they are some of my most secure, legitimate orders. Whereas I find it's the, the lower down orders that can often come with problems. But my, my advice for the chargeback would be to, yes, losing the $5 sucks because you've done the work. But when that chargeback happens, that also means that order has been voided. So anything you delivered in that order is 100% still owned by you. So what you can try and do is see if you can salvage anything. So say I'm creating a logo for, again, a muscle business, $5, I send it, the guy does a chargeback. He no longer owns any right to that logo. Next time I receive an order that comes in and says, hey, I want a muscle gym-based logo. Can you create this for me? I've already got that in my locker because I've made it previously and I can try and reduce that cost by keeping hold of those materials. So in certain aspects, it may not work, but in other scenarios, it might do. So what I recommend doing is having a look at your gig and thinking, if I were to receive a chargeback, is there anything I can kind of salvage to reuse in the future to make it easier for me? Right. And that's a really good way of, of, of see, seeing the best, like finding the best result for the, for the issue. It's just, it's basically a case of trying to reuse the material. And I mean, it's, it's quite a common practice in lots of different walks of business. So for example, when you're in a restaurant, the specials are often actually what's left in the kitchen and, you know, is maybe something they need to get rid of and not kind of waste. So, I mean, I used to, I used to cook professionally. And one of the things that we always did was on a Sunday, we had like, you know, the big Sunday roast dinners with all the meat and trimmings. But then on the Monday morning, we did a breakfast special of maybe like a bubbling squeak, which is all the veg kind of mixed together and fried from the previous day. Mm -hmm. So rather than having the cost of business of thinking, oh, we've got all this food left over. We're not going to sell it. I've, we've paid for this. It's going to be wasted. We've reused that and able to basically not just make the money from it, but save the loss. So it's like a double bonus because if you're expecting to lose the money, if you can in some way salvage part of it, you're just onto a winner, really. Yeah, that's a really, really good idea. And I think for a lot of categories, that would that would certainly certainly work. So I think when we're talking about PayPal chargebacks as well, you often think, is there any kind of rhyme or reason to it? So for example, is it more likely to happen with one buyer compared to another? And personally, I think that it... it it's probably more likely to happen to, you know, maybe a, a newer um, buyer or maybe someone who hasn't got as good reputation on the platform, you know, who hasn't maybe left as many positive reviews. 
So what I'd also recommend doing if you are a little bit worried about an order before you start it is trying to check out if you can find any kind of buyer activity or any activity from that account to kind of put your mind at rest. So the first thing you can do is to first of all, check if the buyer has actually placed the order with you before. Now that may sound silly, but I have actually had scenarios before where maybe once or twice a buyer has ordered from me, they've canceled either before delivery or they've tried to cancel after delivery. And then maybe six months down the line, they've repurchased again. And I've kind of looked at the username and thought, that looks a little bit familiar. And I just, you know, just have a quick look at the buyer history on my account. And I see they've placed a, a previous order that was indeed canceled. And that's where I kind of, you know, I send them a polite message and just explain our previous order together was cancelled, um, you know, for whatever reason that it may be. Due to this, unfortunately, I aren't, uh, I'm not able to proceed with your current order. So, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to be rude about it. But if you're not comfortable proceeding with an order, that is your right as a, as a seller to have that first refusal. You know, you don't have to do the order if you don't want to. Right. And I actually have a... Um... I have a, I, I call it my blacklist. Um, I have a list of clients where I've had a few clients where I've had repeat problems with, and I actually keep a, um, a document on my computer with the list of usernames and, and why I don't do work with them before. So it can help to keep kind of that information if you have seen that in one place. So you can do a quick reference like, this is familiar. I don't think this feels right. Let me just see if I've, oh, look, this is the guy that did that. And that can, that can help to speed up the process definitely i think it's i think it's always worth checking with your account because you just never know but you can also you can go to the next step as well which is to check fiverr as a whole now at the moment fiverr doesn't really have a buyer ratings on their profile but there's still some kind of tools available to you that you can use so one really simple tool to use is google and all you do is you go to google and you type in site colon www.fiverr.com space and then the username now that's going to be in the transcription of the show just so you don't have to remember that but what you essentially do is when you type in site and then the colon you're telling google only search this website so when you put in www.fiverr.com it only searches the main fiverr website if you put in fiverr.com it would search everything including the blog and the forum etc so you tell it only search the main fiverr website and then you put the buyer's username after that and what you're basically saying to Google is, hey, Google, only search Fiverr and show me any results that are linked to this username. And when what you're more likely to pick up on then is any kind of feedback or whether username has appeared and it's most likely to appear on profiles or on feedback. So if you see that, you know, there's a few gigs listed and they've got low ratings and the buyer was one of the people who left those ratings, then, you know, actually maybe you need to have a word with this buyer beforehand or just clarify what they're looking for having seen that they've maybe had a tricky experiences in the past or you know it doesn't look as good as you'd like the history to look right that's a really good tool so red i heard i heard recently that there is a new tool that i think has just been released that could actually maybe help us further with kind of keeping our account safe when we're, we're selling can you can you tell us a little bit about that yeah um there is actually something new coming soon um at the time of this recording it's not launched yet but hey depending on when you're listening to it you might already have it um Fire has put together this really awesome thing um they're putting together a watermark on image previews for some categories um and what this means is that say that you design a logo 
and um, the client is looking at the logo. On the image preview of that logo, there's going to be a fiber watermark, which means that they can't just grab that logo and go. They have to actually accept and complete the order in order to get a copy of the non-watermarked image, which will then be available for download after the order is complete. And it's going to come out in t-shirt subcategory first, and then it will roll out to all of the other subcategories. But this is really great because this basically means that a buyer has to approve the work before you can get everything released to you. So it kind of really does protect sellers from having their images stolen or, or constant rejections and things like that. And I think this is going to be a really fantastic tool and is a sign of great things to come for protecting sellers from the things that we're talking about today. So yeah, it, it basically offers uh, another level of consent where we talked about earlier people trying to cancel after delivery. Well, if the buyer sees the preview, clicks download to download it, and then puts in a cancellation request saying, I don't like the logo, you kind of think, well, you've seen the preview and you've downloaded the full copy, you, you've got to like the logo. And that kind of, that gives you a better argument or, or more protection for that kind of, that scenario happening and reducing that. So your risk, I think, is, is going to be overall lower. Yeah, I'm, I'm personally very, very excited about this new feature because I think that this uh, has a lot of potential to end up going site-wide in various ways. So hopefully, you know, once it rolls out and gets set and solid, we'll get some feedback on it and uh, we'll see how it works going forward. Well, that's about all we have time for this week. So thank you so much for joining us today. Our jingle was made by Custom Drum Loops and we were edited today by Doncha. So thanks. We'll see you next week. Fiber cast. Fiber